Welcome to the Gold Standard Podcast here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And I'm Adam Vingan, and I just wasted the last seven days. <laughs> it was a waste of eight days. Well, no, Daryl Sutter was wrong because it was a waste of seven. Uh, sorry, sorry, coach. Um, we've got we've got a lot to discuss on the show today. I'm not exactly sure where we're going to go or end up because this is sort of designed to be a cathartic release of energy after watching that garbage for eight, seven, excuse me, seven days. Um, I don't know, Adam, if this is the right time or the right space for media or fans to jump to really heavy, severe conclusions about the future of Philip Forsberg, the future of David Poyle, the future of John Hines, the future of the franchise for the National Predators, a, a day after an embarrassing four-game sweep at home in which your arena didn't sound anything like the arena it used to sound like. So I, I'm not sure where we're going to go today. We will have, once David Poyle and John Hines actually talk to us, the players clean out their, quote-unquote, clean out their lockers. Um, you'll have a chance to talk with them. We'll have a lot more more thorough, more, I, I think, thoughtful and tempered conversations once the dust settles and we sort of are, are a little bit removed from the emotions of getting destroyed in a series against Colorado. We will try. We will give you our instant reaction and we'll see where it takes us. Adam, you had a great piece on The Athletic, pay for good journalism, about about want, needing to hear from ownership in this franchise. I think that is absolutely correct. We'll get into that. We'll get into what actually happened in the four-game series. UC Saros is a Vesna finalist, so uh, uh, some stuff to discuss today on the show. Uh, before we get into any of that, Adam, the gold standard is brought to you by the wonderful and amazing folks over at... Jaspers. It's what's for dinner. I think you've or used that one. I think, you've, I think you've used that one like three times now. Uh, uh, I mean, I mean, it, it rings true. I mean, it is what's for dinner or lunch or, or lunch, lunch. Yeah. or brunch, hour. or breakfast yeah. or happy hour yeah. or dessert. Don't don't limit their upside, Adam. Okay, uh, the parking is free. This is where I normally would tell you probably should go watch Predators games there because of all their great drink specials. Now, what we might have to convince Jasper's to do, Adam, is to offer up like a new happy hour drink special for those who are desi- those who desire to drown their sorrows after watching the last seven days of hockey. So maybe we can get, maybe we can get a, a postseason off season drink special going for Preds fans that, uh, that need it right now, which I'm assuming many of you do um, go to Jasper's free parking, great food outside of the Preds. It's an awesome place to go. Free game room, by the way, air hockey table. Fantastic. All right, so just real quickly, the actual series itself. Uh, Colorado, 44% on the power play, 7 out of 16. The National Predators, 23%, which isn't terrible. Um, Kale McCarr, 10 points in four games, I believe set a record. They scored 21 goals in four games. I, I, I don't know what there needs to be said, Adam. I don't know what needs to be said, excuse me, about the actual games themselves. Um, what, what is your... Out before we dive into all of the the tentacles that come out of this series, which is many, what, what is your just like Colorado's awesome? <laughs> do, do you have anything else to add to it? No, they're they're awesome, um, <laughs> especially Kale McCarr. I mean, oh my god, yeah, the dude. things that 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 kid can do, it's special. I mean, he's going to be a special, special player in this league for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was just toying with the Predators at times. Um, you know, I like, I think we talked about this last week, that uh, regular season award ballots were sent in before the playoffs started. 
but if you voted for Roman Yossi as the Norris Trophy winner over Kel McCarr, you might be regretting that a little bit right now. And that's not based um, on what happened in the postseason. So, uh, you know, it, you know, Yossi, Yossi had, uh, you know, had some, you know, Yossi had a big goal in Game Three, uh, but was otherwise um, unspectacular. Kel McCarr, ten, would you say ten points in four games? I think it was a he record. Was, yep. Yep. He was uh, he was incredible. Um, uh, that's but, a, that's a special. That's a spe- that's a, you know that team has the right mix. I think. I mean, and didn't even need their didn't even need their much improved goaltender for right. two, for one I mean, and a half that, of the games. And you know what, Pavel Francois is you know a solid backup. Um, so it's not so it's not as you know the drop off from Kemper to Francois is not the drop off from Saros to Riddick to Ingram. Like that, it's 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 there's a smaller gap, I believe, in the talent and ability of Kemper and Francois than Saros and Riddick slash Ingram. So, and look, it made sense. They were up three nothing. Francois is a good goaltender. Give Darcy Kemper time to to heal his swollen eye uh, for the second round. And look, I I, I want to reserve judgment before crowning the 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 the, the Avalanche yeah, as the yeah. Stanley Cup champion because as we've discussed. This is a team that, despite all of the hoopla around it over the past several years, has not advanced past the second round. Since returning to the postseason, they will draw either Minnesota or St. Louis. It should be a great series, regardless of who the opponent is. But I want to see what happens in that series before I, I crown them anything. But well, they look Na- good, man. They yes, they good. did. Yes, they did. And Nashville did their best to help Colorado along by giving them a lot of days off, uh, by putting up barely a fight at all. Here, here how about this? Five on five shots, Colorado, 216 to 138. Shots on goal, Colorado by 40. Scoring chances, Colorado, 72 to 35. Five on five shots off the rush, 73 48, Colorado. Colorado had more shots off the four check. Shots off the cycle, 49 to 9. For this, this is for the series. Assisted shots, 168 to 89. Shots with two passes, 90 to 31. Corner slot passes, 10 to 2. Uh, oh, behind the net passes, Nashville won that one. Four to Where two. are you getting these fancy stats from? Hang, hang on, hang on, hang on. Low to high passes, 30 for Colorado, 17 for Nashville. Ni- center lane assists, 19 for Colorado, 7 for Nashville. 5-on-5 five five zone entries, 225 to 189. 5-on-5 five five carries, 116-94. to 94. Here we go. The Predators won this one. 5-on-5 five five failed entries, 29-19. <laughs> 20, Five on five carries with a passing play, 40 to 24. You get what I'm doing here, right? Uh, Turnovers, how about this? Turnovers leading to shots, 16 to 16. They tied there. The only category, and I've got about 20 fancy stats here. The only category in which the Nashville Predators were better statistically than the Colorado Avalanche in four games, five on four zone entries, 28 to 24. Literally every possible way that you could measure these statistics, and again, this is from um, I don't know. This is from sh- at Shutdown Line, um, who I believe is a, a a writer at McKean's Hockey. So he's got he just kind of threw this out there, and it basically shows the story of how dominant Colorado was. Yes. Um, and I just I just sort of wanted to do that for fun, and I'll give him credit uh, at Shutdown Line on Twitter for posting that. But it it is you could not have had a more dominating performance, and. We'll get into Heinz and Poyle and Forsberg and all that stuff. Those are very difficult and complicated conversations. But I, I will just, I'm going to start with my personal view of this series, Adam, because there's not really a lot to say about what happened on the ice. No sorrows. You got destroyed. First sweep in, in franchise history. 
I, I, I have some, some other reasons why I didn't attempt to go to the games, Adam. I have not missed a Predators playoff game since game three against St. Louis in 2017. Be, be it as a fan or a media member, I have not missed one. Not one home playoff game. I did not even attempt to ask for a credential for the third and fourth games of this series. Now, some of that is because I've got some family stuff that my wife and I are dealing with with her with her mom, and and it's some of it was I'm just unable to go. But I did not. My wife would have bent over backwards to try to help get me to a game if I had told her, "Listen, I really need to go cover this game." Didn't even feel the urge, Adam, to do it. And and I don't know. I I, I know you were there for both games, and you saw the uh, the crowd. And I want to discuss Bridgestone Arena and how we're chasing the ghost of 2017. Um, I. I just don't, I've got friends who are like, man, I wasn't even excited for the series who've been Predators fans for a long time. And the arena, Adam, and you can describe it now. I think Rex Road wrote about this in his column for the athletic after game three, which is, is about half full at, at puck drop. And it got to about 90%. Can you confirm all of that? And what do you make of how Bridgestone arena was, was on display for games three and four? I'm always really bad at eyeballing those sorts of things. Where it's like, you know, how many empty seats are there? What percentage of the seats are, you know, I'm, I'm never, I'm never good at that. Um, I'll trust Rex Road then. <laughs> especially game, yeah, for game three, which was a Saturday afternoon, there were pockets of empty seats. I thought the atmosphere in game four was better. Of course, the game was closer. Uh, so that helps. I, I, like, I remember writing, I remember writing a story a couple of seasons ago. Where I, you know, because I think we talked, we may have talked about this either on the podcast or it was probably actually on on your on your former morning show about how like this team was like st- was st- like stopped winning Saturday night home games. Like that was oh, the one right. thing that that was the one thing that they were Saturday night in Smashville. You know, like <laughs> they, but they but they stopped winning Saturday home games. Like they 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 were I think they lost like seven or eight in a row or something like that. And I, and I wrote, or some got ungodly number, and then I wrote that basically the aura of Bridgestone Arena was gone. It's like this building that you know was held up as a bucket list destination for hockey fans no longer has that same that same uh, you know, mojo. Mojo, yeah, that's a good way to put it. And I and I got I kind of got that feeling last night. Look, the fans got loud. You know, when the Predators took the lead for the first time in the series, they were excited. But yeah, uh, let me let me. That was sixteen oh two of Game Four, and it was Philip Forsberg's first point in the series, and it was their first lead in the series. Sixteen oh two, sixteen oh two of the third period. And how long? Uh, how long did that lead last? Do you have that number in front uh, of you? If you give me five seconds, I can figure that out. <laughs> um, let me check. I'm now vamping. As I need to pull it up because I don't recall how fast the the Avalanche scored immediately thereafter. Give me um, a second here, Adam. Don't you have words you could say while I'm looking this up? Vamping, vamping, vamping. Aside um, from just the word vamping. <laughs> um, look, I just think that we'll get into my into my column here in a little bit, but money talks, and I am sure about about five that, minutes. By the way. But they led it for about. They held the lead for about five yeah. minutes. Yeah, Forsberg scored at three fifty eight in the third period, so I believe that's sixteen oh two left to go. And yes, then, and then eight fifty five in. Um, so yeah, about five minutes later, uh, Taves scores 
you know, to tie it up at three and then they score again and then they score again on the empty netter. Yeah. So, so money talks. And when it comes to ownership, the one thing that they can't have, the one thing that they dread, not just this particular ownership group, but sports ownership in general, or even ownership of a, like a restaurant, empty <laughs> seats. Yeah. That is not what you want. If you own a bar in East Nashville and it's happy hour and there are four patrons at your bar, you're not going to – something's got to change, right? The best like, the best seats at Jasper's have never been as empty as the best seats at Bridgestone Arena were on Saturday and Sunday, yeah. Saturday and Monday. Yes, and those those stools are prime real estate at Jasper's. Yes, they are. So um, so make sure that you get them if you get there. So uh, I, 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 I agree that the luster – and I, this is the one thing <laughs> I disagree with Twitter on. And again, part of the reason I want to have a week to digest all of this stuff before I have like a firm stance on – what I think Forsberg or Hines or Poyle should be and where the future of the franchise should go is that obviously we're, it's so raw right now, but I don't agree with the, like, and I use the phrase chasing the ghost already. I saw that so many times on Twitter last night. I don't know what on, that means. Well, I, I, cause I think it's been gone forever. Like, I think it's been gone since that year. Like maybe the next year it was there when they won the president's trophy and they went to game seven against Winnipeg. And, but like, and some of this is not their fault, right? Where you, you had, a pandemic and a stoppage and the bubble and all this other crap. But like the, the, the home record was just to your point about Saturday nights and home game. Like it was starting. It's, it was eroded in that Winnipeg series. They actually played very well in Winnipeg in that series. They did not play as well at home. I did find this article, by the way, that we're referencing. It was from January. I'm sorry to interrupt, which I do all the time. It's January 17th, 2020. I wrote and this, and this is just a sense of where things were at the time. The Predators had a 10-9-4 home record when I wrote this story, which was tied for 26th in the league at the time. I said, since winning 14 of 19 at Bridgestone Arena to start last season, they are 21-18-6 there during the regular season. Um, and they went into, like, other shit. But basically... <laughs> um, That's a technical term. They were, yeah. they were tw- how about this? They were 25-14-2. and two. At home this year, so that's pretty good. It's not great. It's pretty good. Um, let me pull up the year before that just to make sure. Um, obviously, crazy year. They were eighteen and ten last year at home. So again, you're you're about two thirds a, a clip there. So you know, not, again, not terrible, not great, solid, I guess. They were seven. You said seventeen, fourteen, and four at home the year before that. I I just think that this like. Bridgestone Arena is the greatest place on earth. I that's I don't think that's a new problem, to be honest with you, Adam. I think this is a it's been eroded for three or four years. I don't think it's all of a sudden it just happened this series. Eroding, eroding, gone. <laughs> um so I I, I am not surprised. No, no. So here here's the other thing. And I, I've said this for years now. After the 2017 run and then the subsequent President's Trophy run, Bridgestone Arena's got a lot more quarter zips than it does hoodies. That audience, that crowd, went from blue, very, very committed, dedicated, longtime fans that have been blue-collar supporters of that organization for 15 years to, oh, I want to be at the party. Oh, hockey's pretty cool. And that changes because those folks will not stay with you when you're, when you're having trouble. That that is a that is that's a Nashville thing. That's a sports thing. To your point, empty seats is the problem. 
folks that just sort of like jumped on the bandwagon, which we were totally fine with at the time, those are the first people to leave the bandwagon. And with the prices of tickets going up every year, I am not surprised that Bridgestone Arena has lost its luster. Just not. It, it happens. You can recapture it by being good again. Um, but I don't know what the answer is to that one, uh, other than like winning a championship. I, I don't. I don't know because um, I don't know. I was if reminded of this today uh, by our friend uh, Buck Rising. Um, on his show, he was talking about my story. He, he texted me to let him know that to let me know he was going to talk about it. So <laughs> he I, just, I, he I just was, wants another listener. <laughs> yeah, so I was listening to it, and I thought he did a good job, of course. And he met, and he he reminded me of something that we like three years ago after the Predators lost to Dallas in the in the playoffs. I did Buck's pod his six one five podcast six one five sessions podcast, and we talked about the direction of the team, and you know I don't I had no idea I remembered nothing of that conversation, but Buck. He's, mentioned that he's not a very he, memorable guy to talk to. Let's just be no, honest. No, not at all. Um, but he, he, you know, I, according to him, and I have to go back and listen, I said that the Predators were a fad. That when 2016 17 arrived, when, when the team was making the playoffs, excuse me, when the team was making its run to the Stanley Cup final, and uh, the, the crowds at Hall of Fame Park or Walk of Fame Park or whatever it is. We're, we're growing and growing until basically they shut down downtown because everybody wanted to be near the arena and all of the smash hats were selling out and all of that stuff. It was cool. It was cool to be downtown to watch the Nashville Predators with all of these other people. And then guess what happened? They stopped winning in the playoffs and the smash hats became less visible. Well, I'll, and- I'll be, I'll, to be honest, I agree with what you're saying here. I will also say that Lower Broadway's also evolved and changed that is to true. a to a less desirable place for locals to be in general uh, on any given day at any given hour. Uh, <laughs> it's just not as fun to be down there anymore. It's just not like that's and again that's a, a larger conversation about our entire city. Didn't Garth Brooks open up a bar? I, where, I think he is where he uh, is. where Paradise Park used to be. I, I I go to the Ryman and I go to Bridgestone and that's about it. Maybe a Sand Amphitheater. Uh, I avoid Lower Broadway at almost all costs. There's a couple of really great restaurants down there. Go to Jasper's instead because it's free parking. Um, I I don't think it's a fad per se, Adam. I just think the way, and this is just business, but the way every organization functions and operates, especially one that has accomplished something that it never had accomplished before, which is this trip to the Stanley Cup and then the President's Trophy, I, I think you try to capitalize on that financially, which is sound <laughs> capitalism and sound business. It makes sense. But you have to sustain that, and then you have to deliver on those those prices. And they just haven't. The organization hasn't. The team hasn't. The, the arena is still a great presentation for hockey. It's just, I think the people that started buying those tickets are the ones that were not lifelong fans. And that, I think, is a quite... You've got to... The, part of the reason that 2017 was so special, and the, all those people that you talked about, Adam, was that there was still the core nucleus of people that were going to games that had been going for 15 years. And I, I think that collection of people kind of got shuffled out of the building for this new collection of folks, probably living south of the city, that all wanted to drive up, come to games, and be a part of it. And they're going to be the ones that aren't as invested. And they're going to be the ones that dip out as fast as possible. And, and so I don't know, like, obviously winning, lowering prices, there's lots of things you could do. But we'll get to, to again, all things we can discuss when we have some time that we're not so raw on emotion right now. Because I want to get to your story. So I, I think your story nails it. And I will put my hand up in the air and, and say, look, I thought Ryan Tannehill should have spoken to the media, to the fans after the loss to Cincinnati. 
well before he spoke, I think it was last week. And I thought he did himself a lot of good by actually having a conversation with us to explain what he was going through, humanizing his experience. I think it lowered the temperature. And that is a phrase I will use here with the Predators as well. I do not know what ownership could say. Herb Fritsch, the, the primary owner, I don't know what he could come out and say that is going to truly change anyone's opinion about anything. But the temperature needs to be lowered. And you cannot get that anymore from David Poyle or Sean Henry or John Hines or the players. And I think that was sort of the gist of your story that you put up on The Athletic that everyone should go pay and read. Yes. Basically, this this is my point. That, as you mentioned, Herb Fritsch is the chairman of the Nashville Predators, previously a position held by Tom Cigarin for a long time. So Fritsch is the main owner of the 17 total owners that have a stake in the Nashville Predators as part of Predators Holdings LLC, I believe it's called. And they choose to take a hands-off approach to running the, the franchise, which I think is common in sports. There are very few owners that are that are that are upfront and hands-on. You know, there are obvious you know examples. Mark Cuban comes to mind, um, among others. But they leave the day-to-day responsibilities to John Henry, president, and David Poyle, GM. And when it comes to speaking on uh, when it comes to speaking on matters of the organization, whether it's the the, the team the business, what have you, it's Sean and David who are talking about it because they've been empowered by ownership to speak on on owner on the owner's behalf. I just think at this point where where things are going, the fact that this team has not won a playoff round in four years, the fact that um, you know, they have they've played 14 playoff games, postseason games in the past three seasons and have won three of them. Yep. They are three and eleven in their past three playoffs. Um, in, in, your, in, your, in your story, Adam, you have David Poyle listed as the 10th all-time playoff winningest general manager in NHL history. And you have a little asterisk there that says, excluding this postseason for 106 playoff wins. You can remove it's the still, asterisk, it's Adam. Still, yeah, it's still, it's still 100. Still 106. Um, I may remove the asterisk. Maybe I'll have my... I'll maybe I I'll think you need editor. to. Get old, Mitch Light. Get old Mitch Light do, to do something for you. Okay? Mitch is not my editor anymore. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> but um, anyway, the um, – what was I going to say? Anyway, so I just think, and this is how I described it in the story, that when it comes to just discussing the direction of the franchise, I, I believe that David Poyle has become an unreliable narrator. I do not believe that fans want to hear from David Poyle because – they're mad at David Poyle. I have, you know, I've been here now for seven plus years. I have covered every playoffs of the eight consecutive postseasons that they've been that they've that they've had. And this is by far the worst showing they've ever had, which is, you know, of course, because they were swept. But this like I I cannot remember a time when David Poyle was more in the crosshairs of the Predators fan base than he is right now. And there was a time in the first half of last season when things were going poorly that he was right in the middle of it, and he knew that. I think it's even worse now. See, and- I, I just, I, my instinct is, is the opposite, that, that it was worse then. But this is why I need a week to think about it, because my instinct tells me that it was still worse when they were in dead last place and were trying to change the entire organization. 
Like at least they made um, the playoffs this time. Again, I, again, I need some time to think about this because I don't, I want to do the audience service here. I, I don't know where they are right now relative to that point where they were what, like middle of March last year and two years ago and they, they were, were like, dead, they dead were like, last. I don't know if they were ever dead last, but they were definitely like within five, like within the bottom five. Right. Um, I just think that, I just think that consumer confidence, look, Herb Fritch, Tom Sigurin, and the other members of the Predators ownership group are or were, because I believe some of them are retired, highly successful business people. <laughs> In order to be able to pay to own a part of a professional sports franchise, you have to be pretty good at business. I mean, Herb Fritch... Or inherit a bunch his, of money. <laughs> yeah, or that too. Herb Fritch sold his healthcare company in 2011 for $3.8 billion. Yeah. So Herb Fritch knows how to create a successful business. One thing that highly successful business people understand is when a product is floundering, you can't just continue to hope that it turns itself around. You so you're raising you're raising an interesting question though, because I even when the Preds have even as the Preds have quote unquote like gone through the competitive rebuild, gotten worse, Bridgestone Arena's tailing off, whatever, like they're still financially very, very successful. Right, and that's the question that that's I the think Toronto Maple Leafs. I right? think that's the question that the owners need to answer. Is it more important for them to have a team that makes the playoffs every year, and that's it? Like that's the expectation. We just want to make the playoffs. If is that the expectation, or is the expectation that we want to build a championship team? That needs to be made clear. Well. I think they're always going to make money. You don't own a, prof- a professional sports franchises are just you just print money. So it's they're they're even if they are, you know, under five hundred and missing the playoffs, they're still going to make money. So that that's where you have to be careful with like the good business thing because you can. There's a reason that owners in some sports, baseball namely, don't choose to invest heavily in payroll that they can win enough games to make a bunch of money with a a payroll in the bottom third of the league, right? Like that's that's the whole money ball thing is that you can still be financially successful and viable while, you know, not being Steve Cohen of the Mets and, and, and trying to spend 400 million on payroll. Like you can, that's, what's sort of a weird thing here. It's it also like Jerry Jones, the Cowboys, they make a ton of money, but he desperately wants to win a championship and sometimes gets in his own way because of it. So there's a lot of moving parts here. I, I think number one, I trust that, I have a lot of respect for Sean Henry and David Poyle and the jobs that they do, right? I think they're very good at the jobs that they do. It does not mean it's not time for a change with the general manager. I am just not personally ready to make a clear stance on whether I think that should happen or not the day after a sweep. I just need some time to think about it and to dissect it all before I come back and have an answer for the audience that's listening to this show, if that makes sense. Because I think you could ask the same question of John Hines where his contract is up. I have a buddy of mine, and I can I can bring this up if you want me to. I had a buddy of mine who basically said, "I'm I'm getting to the point now where I think, like it's shake quote." This is a text message from a guy who used to work at the Predators, who's a longtime season ticket holder and played uh, played college hockey. Shake up time, and the more I've thought on it, it's okay to let Forsberg walk. He's awfully good, but he's not a game breaker to be getting the league's best money. And I, hearing that from a diehard fan, who's just like, you know what? I, just let him go. Like that feels really emotional and in the moment. 
but I also think it's representative of where the fans are right now today. Look, I just think that like from ownership's perspective, you're right. The Predators are a successful business. It makes money. If that's what they're concerned about, they're they're doing okay. Um, but I, I just think that if you watch, look, if you watch this product, like I do, I mean, it's been my job for more than seven years to watch this team play hockey, for better or for worse. And it's been a lot of better more than a lot of worse. But it's just, if you, this team, you know, I, I wrote this in the story that the gap between, the gap between the upper echelon teams of the NHL, like the Colorado Avalanche and the Predators currently is chasmic. Like it's not, like <laughs> no, they're not, they're not, it's, they're not close. Like this team is not close to being a legitimate championship caliber team again. They're not. And if ownership is okay with mediocrity, then they can continue to stay silent. But I don't think I don't think that this this to me, like, okay, we can talk about low but, points. Let, let, me, let, me, let me throw out a number real fast just so you know, so people know. Um, operating income for the National Predators in 2014 season was $98 million in revenue. $110 million in revenue in 15, $116 million in revenue in 16, $141 in revenue in 17. Wonder what happened there. $132 million in 18, $135, $121, and then a huge drop because of the pandemic, of course, in 21. But basically, for six consecutive seasons, this organization has a re- an operating revenue of over $110 million each year. So financially, they are in great shape. <laughs> it's not about that. It's about committing to success on the ice. Correct. That's that is what it's about. It's not about no. It's it's about are is ownership okay with a on ice product? Not talking about the ticket sales. I'm not talking about the you know. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm talking about the the team that takes the ice 82 nights a year. Are they okay? with a team that's clearly stuck. If they're okay with that, that's their prerogative. They own the team. I don't. But they have I, to they, they have to be the ones now to say that to the fans. Correct. That is the point of your story, which is we can listen to David Poyle and John and Sean Henry and the players and John Hines and they're probably all going to have press conferences over the course of the next few days. The players on Tuesday evening. I they're all going to say things. Probably going to piss off the fans. Some fans might be okay with what they say. Some fans won't. I mean, it's just going to be it's going to be coach speak and GM speak at this point, unless they announce something very seismic over the course of the next week. We're going to reconvene Adam for our next episode, which we're not really sure when it's going to happen, uh, and we're going to say the same thing. I assume that ownership has to tell us what their goals are for this organization because they're making tons of money and they're making the playoffs, and if that's good enough then the fans deserve to hear that from the owner's mouth. Yes. That that's basically it. Full stop. <laughs> so Did I get I, that point across in the I, story. I, I I listen, you have been talking about this for quite a while. And so I'll give you the the credit on being on this topic and this subject for a while. I am okay to your point Adam. I am totally fine with them deciding to be hands off to let Sean Henry run the business very successfully, as I just pointed out financially, and to David Poyle, who's largely been very successful for most of his career. I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater here. 
and just ignore two and a half decades of pretty awesome general managing of, of an organization. I just, you need to hear from somebody who ultimately makes the decision, especially if you're just going to automatically renew David Poyle's contract every year, which I believe you reported or somebody reported. Well, I had heard something along these lines and I, I didn't know if it was true or not. And then I was, so just to, just to be, just to set the stage here. So I found an article from 2018 in the Tennessean written by Jessica Bliss. It's no longer at the paper, but wonderful feature writer. And she wrote a feature about David um, when he had become the winningest GM in NHL history, which was, like I said, in 2018. So I think this was written in either, I think it was probably written during the 2017-18 season. That makes sense. And in it, way down at the bottom, (laughs) there is a quote from Tom Sigurin, who at the time was the chairman. He no longer is, as we've talked about. And Tom Sigurin, by the way, is still part of the ownership group. He told Jessica on the record that Poyle, quote, has a contract that keeps renewing automatically. He's basically in in perpetuity. He's basically an at-will employee. Like if you have a contract that doesn't have a number on it, like a like a time frame on it, (laughs) you're an at-will employee. Like you're employed until you don't want to work there anymore, or the people that you empl- that employ you don't want you to work there anymore. So it's the opposite of every other human in the state of Tennessee. <laughs> in a right-to-work state where you can be fired for anything no matter what happens. Um, I Listen, if that is true, fine, okay, not a big deal. I just think now in this situation, the, the dynamics have changed. And again, ownership... <laughs> Even if it's all a bunch of platitudes, ownership needs to say things out loud to the people. And whether that's their goals, whether that's their objectives, the future of John Hines' contract, you know, is John Hines the right coach for right now? I have said yes. Is he the right coach to win a championship? I've said, I don't know. Is David Poe the right GM for now? I don't know. Is he the right GM for the future? I don't know. Was he the right GM for the last 20 years? Yes. The answer is yes, he was. There's... There's just so many questions, Adam. And again, I need time before I have definitive thoughts and feelings about this stuff. Um, I'll give you an example. Very raw right now. So so Mark Mark Chipman, who I believe is, he's the executive chairman of the Winnipeg Jets. On May 3rd, 2022, he posted an open letter on the Winnipeg Jets website. It's a long letter. Not going to read the entire thing, obviously. But part of it says this quote by this measure the standard is earning a position in the stanley cup playoffs by this measure and for the first time in four years we did not achieve our objectives this season as you have read and heard in recent days a deep sense of disappointment has been expressed by our management team our coaches players and our entire organization honestly it is difficult to explain the weight of the responsibility i personally feel for our lack of success this year, and that's because I know how much the Winnipeg Jets mean to you and to this community. Like, I don't need Herb Fritsch to field questions, necessarily. If he were to write an open letter just like this, it's this that's just a section of what Mark Chipman wrote. But something something needs to be said. And look, I I you know I appreciate the work that Sean Henry does as president of the Nashville Predators. He's done a lot of good things for them. I don't want to hear from him. The one thing about Sean, he's a, he's an he's a he's a expert business person. He can spin anything. 
<laughs> I don't want to hear that spin. I don't want to hear it. I want to hear from the owner's mouth exactly what the plan – like these are the questions, and I laid them out in the article, and we can get into this more you know, later on. But I just want to say these are the questions that come to mind to me. The, if, I, if I had an audience with Herb French, these are the questions that I would want to know. How is David Poyle held accountable for the fact that this team has not won a playoff series in four years? Especially if his contract apparently automatically renews every year. What is the plan for when David is no longer GM? He's 72 years old. He's not going to be doing this forever. Would the, pre- would the Predators benefit? from adding someone to the front office with a fresh perspective who has zero ties to the organization or anybody hiring the person. Because, look, I remember when the Predators hired John Hines. I believe David said that John and Jeff Kelty, one of the assistant GMs, were roommates at Boston University. A A lot of times in business, it's not what you know, it's who you know. But I think this team cannot go back to, well, I know this person. Like I, 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 it needs to be completely fresh. I want someone to come in. This is, this is me personally. I want someone to come in that has zero loyalty to the Nashville Predators other than the fact that they just hired them to, to run their front office or be a part of their front office. I want to hear that from Herb because I think it, like, I can't think of another situation in professional sports where a general manager who has been in the postseason, not just, not, not just for this franchise, but for another franchise, he has been in the postseason. 29 times as an as a general manager in the NHL. Once has he gotten to the Stanley Cup final. Once. Twice he's gotten to the conference finals. That that one I think is even worse, Adam. That second to one. Me, to me, how many GMs have if you want to even look at the Predators, I think it's 15, I think it's 15 postseasons now with the Predators. I think it was 14 with Washington, 15 with Nashville. It might be I might have, you know. Sure change the numbers around. Yeah, I think it's 15 with Nashville. 14 of the 15 years they have not gotten to a conference final. Like how many general managers in professional sports have that kind of job security? I yeah. jokingly said a few weeks ago that David Poyle has the job security of a Supreme Court justice and I thought people and people thought that was funny, but it's kind of true. And I just don't agree with it. Like, I just think no, that... I, I, I don't think anyone I, agrees with you. I, I just think that, you know, it's not so much about, the, the you know, look, they're going to... Fans are still going to come to the games. Fans are going to buy merchandise. Like, that. that's going to happen. They're, the, the owners are still going to make their money. But they employ perhaps the... I don't know. If, you can't really say most unique because I think that's... I don't think that works. I, I think David, it, it, Mitch, Mitch yeah. Light would tell me it's redundant, and he yeah. would correct me David if I said Poyle, very unique. In my opinion, is the is a unique general manager in professional sports. Maybe with the exception of like Jerry Jones, who owns the team he also happens to manage. But David Poyle doesn't own the Nashville Predators and has been a general manager for for this team for twenty five years and hasn't won anything significant other than one Western Conference title and I guess you could say a President's Trophy, couple, couple divisions, division, yeah. couple divisions under. You know, I hate I hate doing this because it's so easy to do, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> if David Poyle worked in Toronto, he would have been fired like eight years ago. Like I'm just like that's well, that's so, the truth. So it's totally the truth. I agree with you. The question is whether or not it's the right way to do business, and I don't I don't think that is the right way to do business in general in sports. I think patience is undervalued and an often overlooked 
factor in coaching hires, um, general managers, especially administratively. I don't mean, I think, I think players, you need to see results, but like, I think you need to, to evaluate Mike Vrabel or John Robinson. I think you need four, four to six years, not two to three years. Same thing with David Poyle. So I think there's times when that plays in their favor and it's been smart to keep David Poyle and that he's been around. I don't think the Toronto or Montreal way is always right for Nashville. But on the flip side of that, the double-edged sword of that extra extra patience is where we are now in the last couple of years, where that extra patience feels like it's gotten us into a bog, a swamp of where are we going, right? Yes. Okay. What other questions do you have for ownership, Adam? And then we'll send you on your merry way. And who knows when we're coming back to talk to you guys. <laughs> when? What other questions do I have for ownership? Mm-hmm. All right. I'm Herb Fritch. I'm sitting here. I've answered your questions about all these things. What, what else would you ask me? Man, I have to really think about that one. Come on, Adam. You're putting me on the spot. I don't care for it. Um, <laughs> the you know, but I, you know, I, I I'm sure I can think of more. I would really need to sit down and craft them because if it's a if this is like the one time I ever get a chance to talk to Herb Fritch, I want to make sure I make it count. Are you suggesting but, that live radio is perhaps not as easy as sometimes we make it look? Yes. Okay. So right, I just wanted you to. Do I, that. I just I you know at the end of the, like it's like I just think that the days of David Poyle getting a free pass are over. Like, I just, I just think that I understand that the owners love David Poyle and David Poyle is a great man. David Poyle has done a lot of fabulous things for hockey in the United States and in Nashville specifically. I don't think that that should be overlooked. I, I just think that, I just think that, let me ask you a question. No, no, not and winning. No, a, no, you're you're on the right track because all that stuff is true. The other thing is true too, which is you have won three playoff games in three years with your new coach, and you've won zero playoff series in four years since winning a President's Trophy. So two things are true: he was great and amazing for this organization for a long period of time, and also it's possibly time for a change. I'm just not ready to say that yet on this show. Maybe next episode. I'll be I'll be there. Maybe. That's go, go ahead with your question. No, I'm just saying. When was the what was what was the last transaction that David Poyle made that you said to yourself that really worked out for them? Um, I I like the moves they made this offseason. Um, I think I think that to me I think the decision to protect Tanner Janot in the expansion draft was savvy. Yep. I think we all questioned it when it happened. You know, clearly, David was onto something because Tanner had a solid first full season in the NHL. I think that the uh, the Matt Duchesne contract has a little less stank on it because of uh, how well he played. Who knows if he'll play like that again? But this, 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 this is why I need time because I think the Ekholm contract, trading Ellis, trading Arvidsson, um, re-signing Soros, I think Forsberg's first contract, the one that just ran out, I think there was a lot of stuff that I really right, liked. Well, you know, the argument could be made that you traded Ryan Ellis and Victor Arvidsson too late, and they were basically salary dumps. And Cody Glass and Philippe Myers were complete non I, I I'm with you, but you also got a, a major contract off the books. Again, you asked me, and my question, my answer is, there's a lot of stuff that has happened in the last 12 months. I think moving on from LaViolette to Hines, I think, was the right move at the time. I think his drafts the last couple of years have been pretty solid. So I, I think there's... There's a lot more there there that is that is quality. Um, that doesn't keep that will not keep me from saying on our next episode. Listen, I think it's time for a change. 
there's also a lot of bad in there too, whether it's Kyle Turris and we can go down, like we know the list of stuff that's, you know, that's bad, right? Like trading, trading a first round pick for Ryan Hartman maybe is a bad, bad, bad move. Like there's plenty of moves that we can look at that we would say, all right, that wasn't very good. I think there's a lot of other stuff that's been solid and it's setting this organization up. The question is, does, and this is what we really can leave the show on today, Adam. The question is, has David Poyle earned the right to make the next move? That is the question. And only There's, one, only one people, only one group of people can answer that question, and that's ownership. <laughs> we didn't even talk about Barry Trotz. Which, by the way, just stop it. All <laughs> of you, all of you, just stop it. Okay? Stop. Let let's let keep Barry Trotz out of your mind <laughs> for a minute. Just for a freaking minute. I'm not denying that he was great and that I love the guy and I don't want him back in Nashville and that he wouldn't be a great assistant coach maybe or whatever, but you are not letting John Hines walk to bring back Barry Trotz. Okay. Like, am, am I wrong on this? Like what Twitter? Stop it. <laughs> am, I wrong? am I wrong day. on this, Adam? Am I overreacting somebody, here? Somebody asked me the other day, <clears throat> Jared Stillman. Somebody stop. asked me the other day. It's like day. three episodes in a row. Stop. I it. know, but we talk a lot about this stuff. So Jared <laughs> asked me the other day, you know, would I let go of John Hines? And my thought generally is no, I would not. I would pick up his option for one year and see how things go to start next season. That's what I would do. Unless someone clearly better became available. And I know Barry Trotz and and, and it was a complicated exit, but Barry Trotz is clearly better. I mean, Barry Trotz is clearly better than a lot of coaches. So, if the if Barry Trotz phones David Poyle and says, "David, I'm itching to come back. Let's do it. You you got to entertain it." You, but it's not going to happen. But it's not going to happen. I know, I understand that, okay. but I'm saying that if there's any inkling that Barry has interest, you have to you have to at least look into it. Well, yeah, you bring him back and you put him on the bench as an assistant coach, and then when you can't you, make Barry Trotz an assistant this, coach. <laughs> or you know what? Let's let's maybe Barry Trotz is director of hockey, hockey operations, and David Poyle slides into a new role well, or whatever. Peter LeBron of the yeah. Athletic and TSN reported that perhaps well, it may have been him or Darren Dreger of TSN reported that like. Maybe management is something he could look into. If I recall correctly, when di- when the decision was made, this was before I was here. But when the decision was made to move on from Barry, I believe I, I David said that he had offered Barry a job in management in the Predators organization, and he turned it down. Like he didn't want to do that yet. And maybe maybe he wants to do that now. It would be ironic to have Barry Trotz on a level playing field in the hierarchy inside the organization with David Poyle. That <laughs> that would be a. That would be a funny twist. Here's the thing. I am pro Barry Trotz. I love Barry Trotz. love everything about him. Uh, I'm just trying to tell people it's not <laughs> happening. <laughs> like they're not, right. there's a difference between like what we think might be a, a, a savvy move versus what's plausible. And I just don't think it's possible that it's going to happen. I just don't, I don't know how David Poyle of all people has any power in that organization at all to fire the coach and hire a new one right now. That's, that's really the issue here. If you're talking about changing the general manager or even just sliding David Poyle into a new role, then you're going to want the new guy to evaluate the current structure and then make decisions. And that that's how it works in every other sport. It's how it works in the AD world in college athletics. You, you hire the, the decision maker first, then let them do their job. That That's yeah. how this goes. If, 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 if John Hines is getting fired, it ain't by David Poyle. It's going to be by the new person. That That is just reality here, in my opinion. All right. On that note, are we done for today? Yes. 
ask some tough questions. John Hines and David Poyle, we'll see if they give us any answers. The players will do all of that. We'll have some time to, to reflect on all of this and our, the, the major topics we will come back to you with on our next episode, be it Friday or Monday, depending on when these press conferences happen, is going to be definitive answers from Adam and I about the future of the big players in this organization, namely David Poyle, John Hines, Philip Forsberg, and some others. Um, but that is that, that where is this organization going? Those are the things we will discuss on the next episode. Make sure you go to Jasper's, of course, because uh, the Gold Standard is brought to you by the wonderful folks at Jasper's. Great happy hour, great special, great drink, uh, great uh, uh, patio. You got the patio open now. You got the game room, which has been a huge hit with fans, especially Preds fans, free parking. It's a great place to go during the workday, afternoons. Uh, you still got a couple of, and, and you still got playoff games in the NHL and NBA to watch. So make sure you're going to Jasper's, everybody. Uh, obviously, check out the YouTube page, all the other great shows from 440 Sports. Uh, follow Adam on the Twitters at Adam Bingen. Pay for good journalism at The Athletic. You can follow me at Brayton Call. Thank you guys all for hanging out with us. Go drown your sorrows at Jaspers, everybody. We'll be back with State of the Union, the future of the franchise, all that great stuff on our next episode. We'll talk to you then. Otherwise, try to have a good week, everybody. This has been the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Podcast Network.